Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Oh my gosh. So I have been doing this podcast journey for just a short while. And I firmly believe that the universe brings people into your life for a reason. And today I have the absolute honor to have a survivor, a mom, a wife, a actress, and all around incredible woman, because all those other things are just titles. I have Brianne Davis with me, who also has a podcast that y'all have to check out. It's incredible. It's called Secret Life, and everybody dishes all their secrets on it. And I asked her if she wanted to be part of my podcast, and I had the honor of her saying yes. So without further ado, I'm Bran. I have a question for you. Everybody has always gone through the ashes. You can't be human and not go through the ashes of your lives. What is a pivotal point in time in your life that you were in the ashes and you had to rise and reclaim your divine inner phoenix? And how has that impacted your journey to now? That is a... Why don't we just hit the right off the bat? You just went there. <laughs> Girl, you know, let's just go. Let's just go. Let's get it. Let's just get it. Get to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with my journey, I definitely rose from the ashes. But here's the thing I always like to say is at the lowest of my low, I was like at the pivotal climbing in my career. So I'm standing on the red carpet for you know, prom night, Sony screen gems, a big movie, so many cameras all over the world taking pictures. And I was at my lowest. I was in this place where I didn't love myself, looking outside of myself for people to validate, fulfill me. And it was never enough. And here's the thing I've been wanting my whole life to have this career as an actress. And it just left me so empty. And that's when I realized like I have an addiction. I am a sex and love addict addicted to people filling me, giving me my self-worth, the attention and all of that. And that was the moment where I was like, either I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life, or I need to like shit and get off the pot and do some work, <laughs> some inner work um, to see why I I kept doing the things that I morally didn't want to do, like being a cheater, a liar, a stealer, you know, you know, not showing up for my friends, picking people that were unavailable for me, Mm -hmm. uh, always looking for the flirting, the intriguing, the high of from male attention, even when I had a boyfriend and it was like, wow, am I going to be doing this forever? Like, am I going to be on my deathbed? reaching outside and never be fully connected to another human being. So that was my darkest and it was torture. And, but honestly, on the other side now, 11 years ago, when I 
succumb to those demons <laughs> and admitted, admitted powerlessness is what I like to say. I, you know, rose from the ashes and it took a really long time, but I now have that self-love and nothing outside of my universe can shake that. Oh, I love that because I think I have almost 31 years of sobriety. So it's very similar in, in the recovery process. And I think mm -hmm. that when you are in that lowest of low, especially when you're on the public stage, I can't even imagine being in the public eye and people have all of these expectations of you and to be able to say, well, I have a problem and I need help. I guess if you're addicted to alcohol and drugs, that's kind of like uh, the thing in Hollywood to be yeah. that kind of addict. But God forbid that you come out and say, I'm addicted to attention. I'm addicted to men. I'm addicted to sex. I mean, what was the reaction as far as the circles in Hollywood when you actually came forward and said, listen, guys, I need help. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think they have that anonymity in our programs for 12 step, you, you know, Bill created it so that you could heal before you could go public. And right. I didn't tell anybody, you know, I just told a handful when I finally realized like I need help. I went, I called a friend. So I was sitting in my hotel room on location, you know, across the country away from my living boyfriend who I loved as much as I could love someone. Right? right. And what happened was I found out a mentor of mine died oh. and all of those things I did when I was younger for so many years before I met this boyfriend I was living with came rushing back. Like I started flirting with everybody on set and intriguing. And if you don't know what intriguing it is, it's like a notch up from flirting where you like give off the impression you're available when you're not. So you like give yeah. someone your number, you put, you know, you yeah. do things that you say the wrong thing, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. So I just had that moment like, oh my God, this isn't like I'm young, I can have fun and do what I want. Like, this is a problem. Like, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. So I called my friend who I trusted and she was seeing a therapist for a while and she had relationship problems too. And she sent me to her therapist and I get there and the therapist says two things to me. When I get back in town, she says two things to me. You wear the mask of one of my other clients. That's a high class prostitute. And I was like, bitch, bitch like, please. I just you and I'm paying you. My insurance doesn't pay for this. Like, what are we talking about? And I remember thinking, what? It? And she goes, you have a secret, but I don't know what it is yet. And we kept talking and talking. And, but I kept thinking the whole time, I'm not a dude that's married getting caught cheating, even though I have been caught cheating. Let's just get that out. Right. In the open. Um, I always did that, like lapping relationships, like mm -hmm. one is ending, yeah. but I start another one, yep. you know, so yep, I that... never have to be alone, you know, yep, yep, yep. Putting tentacles out there to see who else is interested, you know, those yep. kind of things that we all do that we think is normal, but it's not. Um, yeah. So uh, she was just like looking at me and I was thinking, I've never had a one night stand. I haven't had many sexual partners and you're calling me a prostitute. Not that there's anything wrong with prostitution or any of that. I have no judgment, but I was so taken aback and I kept talking to her. And then she said at the end of the session, and I talk about this in my book, secret life of a Hollywood sex and love addict that I just wrote. And I had this moment with her and she goes, Oh, I know what it is. 
you're a sex and love addict. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I was like, uh, what? I'm not Tiger Woods. Like, like I had that thought, even though I've done right. what Tiger Woods has done, which is insane. And I, she said, yeah, you, you use people like you use bottle, like alcoholics use bottles of alcohol. And she said a lot of people in your profession, cause she works with a lot of entertainers. She said a right. lot of people in your profession have this problem where you're always looking for validation. You're always looking for the next best thing, the prettier, the shinier, the better job, always, always more. I call it the disease of more, like give me more, yes. give me more insatiable, right? We have that hole that's just like more, more. Yeah. And I just was we did these 40 questions. So there's these 40 questions online. If anybody's listening, there are 40 self-diagnosed sex and love addicts, anonymous questions takes you. I have some of them right here. So they're like, have you ever tried to control how much sex you have? Do you get high from a relationship? Have you had sex at inappropriate times? Do you believe that someone can fix you? Have you ever felt that you had to have sex? Um, do you find yourself in a pattern of bad relationships? Do you flirt and intrigue to, to give your worth and things like that? So I filled it out with her and let me just tell you my number <laughs> was like, I talk about it in the book, but it's at the end of chapter three, but it's like, my number is high. Let's just yeah. say it's very, very high. Very, very high. You were in it to win it on that test. You were like, I'm going to get a perfect score. Exactly. And you're supposed to fill it out. Like you might not be doing those things now, but have you done them before? And is is that a pattern in your life? And you might not be doing it now, but let's look back. Is this a pattern that you've had? Yeah. Maybe you just kind of pushed it aside to get and whack a mold to somewhere else. You like go to Netflix or now you're DMing strangers on Instagram. Like, So I just had that moment where it was like, oh my God. And I I called my live-in boyfriend afterwards. I'm driving on the 101. I'm hysterically crying. I look probably like a crazy person on the highway. And I was like, I am a sex and love addict. And I get, yeah, it was really sad. It was like really, really sad. But I get home and he highlights all the meetings I can go to in Los Angeles. What an amazing human being for doing that. Yeah. So I went to a meeting that I didn't tell any of my friends or anybody. And I went to my first meeting that night in deep in the Valley and at seven 30 newcomers meeting. And it was 30 people, nothing like me, all walks of life. There was an A-list celebrity to a social worker, to an elementary school teacher, to a CEO, like every ethnicity you can imagine. And every single person in that meeting said something that I felt that I've done, that I thought about doing. And for the first time I started crying because I wasn't alone or broken. I just didn't get the tools to have a healthy relationships in my friends, in my family, in my love, love partners. And it was like, that was the day I succumbed. That's the day I was like, okay, like I'm not alone. I got to fix this or I'm going to be doing it forever. And here's the thing. I'm with the same man that highlighted those meetings. 16. We've been together for 16 years. I have 11 years of recovery. We are married now, which I never wanted to get married. We have a kid. I never wanted a kid. I was too selfish and self-seeking, 
but it took me a long time to tell, you know, people in the business, it took me a decade of recovery because it's a really hard program and you have to protect yourself and you have to go through a withdrawal. And this hair, this heroin recovering heroin addict came in at like when I got my six months chip and he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. This is worse than heroin withdrawal. And that to me allowed me to feel that pain and allowed me to tell my truth a decade later and help other people. So it took a long time, but I have to tell you this one time because you asked, I was on set on this cop movie and I talk about this in the book and you'll never know who anybody is if you read the book. You could try to guess, it's a fun game. Um, I changed all the names so I can't get sued, but I was in the room with these producer, director and all my co-stars and I was like, you're a love addict, you're sleeping with the wardrobe person, you're going through a divorce (laughs) and flirting with everybody on set. You're like this. I was literally like diagnosing like a, but I was so funny because I look around now and it's like almost everybody I know have suffered from this disease and nobody talks about it. It's well, like, it's, it's the shame. I think that, yeah. you know, like it's the shame because here's the thing is that we are only taught to love by people who for the most part, were never taught how to love. So it's a generational teaching oh, yeah. of not understanding what is love. Number one, what is love? Mm-hmm. How do you express it? What is, what is okay? And when you're taught by someone who doesn't understand it, the role models in your life, if they're not giving what you need, you seek it from outside approval. And then it just starts that, I call it the swirling vortex of doom that you just get sucked into it like a toilet bowl and you you can't get out until you hit that bottom. And being an alcoholic, you will put it in, like you said, like Netflix or you're eating or you'll switch What's your What's a whack-a-mole? It just Yeah, it's just like you everywhere. just whack one and it's gonna pop up someplace else. So I'm dying to know, tell us all about your book. Oh, it's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I never wanted to write it. <laughs> so why did you write it? Okay, so I didn't want to do it, but like... Listen, I never wanted to speak out about having this disease. You know, I'm a working actor. I've been working for 20 years. I'm not an A-list celebrity, but I'm a working actor. I make a living doing this. So, you know, I was going to my grave with this addiction. I'm a very... I speak all over the world for the community. I've, you know, sponsored women all over the world. But what happened, like I said, when I hit a decade, here's what happened. All these younger generation were coming in. When I first started 11 years ago, I was the youngest and I was in my late 20s. So we have people that are 19, 20 coming in. So if you're out there and you're 18 or younger, you cannot go to the meeting. They have younger meetings for younger, but you know, we have 20 year olds coming in saying, I'm having trouble with intimacy. I cannot commit. I'm always looking outside of myself. Social media is taking me down. I'm like, I just, I just think this generation of too much porn excess, not having a realistic view of what sexuality looks like and healthy relationships with, like you said, I didn't get that either. My parents didn't sleep in the same bed. I never heard them say, I love you. They were constantly fighting. So when I looked at marriage as a young kid, I'm like, I don't want that. Like, that's the last thing I want. You know, I grew up. 
I, yeah. And I grew up as a latchkey kid and I watched TV and film. So what I thought was a healthy, real relationship was falling in love constantly. So the high of falling in love, the intensity, the butterflies, the first touch, like that's what I was addicted to. Um, but these younger generation is getting worse and worse. And they're saying it's an epidemic that the, they are having trouble committing and connecting intimacy and sexuality. And I, so I been sponsoring young, younger people. And I just had this overwhelming God shot of like, okay, you got it. My God was like, you got to do bigger. And my husband, he said, and he has 32 years in AA also. And he has awesome. 10, he has 10 years in DA. So we're like a 12 step family, you know? And right. he looked at me so weird one day, like a year ago. And he was like, Hey, so there's this writing class, 90 day writing class for writing a novel. And I looked at him like he was insane, like insane. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not a writer. You know, I'm just, you know, like what if we're, I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. I'm an actress. Like, give me the dialogue. I don't want to write it. Right. He just kept bothering me, like really bothering me. And I was like, what are you doing? And by the sixth time of him being like, he sat me down and he said, listen, it's not a lot of money. Nobody has to know. You can quit after one class. Like it will be between me and you. And I'm like, okay, fine. Leave me alone. And I was shooting Lucifer. So like, I was like, fine, fine, fine. Just leave me alone. Sign me up. Okay. Just right. sign me up and give me the first class. And I wrote the first draft in 45 days. Like it, it just was-, was cathartic. It was like, okay. And all of a sudden it was like the toilet flush. Everything is just going to come out and go on the paper because it had to come out and go someplace. Well, you would think I would love that story, but that's not how it felt. It just felt like, like a God or my universe or my higher power just put the story through me. Like yeah. it, it wasn't, I, I don't even remember like making a decision. It just happened. I don't know if you've, I've never, yes. I've had other kind of moments like that where it's just like, it just happens and you're like, yep. wait, what just happened? Oh, I just agreed to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wait, wait, it's bigger than me. So, yeah. but during the, so it was a memoir. So during the rewrite process, I'm talking about all the times I've acted out. It gets very, very graphic. You know, my bottom, which if a bottom is like the lowest of the right. low, yeah. you know, I start with a bang, right. You know, getting caught with two lovers and you get to see the addict's thoughts. Like you go into the addict's mind. So it's, I was having a conversation and trying to get an, you know, for the first year of recovery in sex and love addiction while working in Hollywood. So I take you on set and take you like through the whole journey of being a working actor. And I was like, huh, when I was doing rewrites with the editor, all these other stories, other people's stories, dreams started happening. And I wake up at 3 a.m. and run into my office and like write all these, these scenes down. And I'm like, well, it's not a memoir. But it is my story and it's a self-help book because it's these 10 rules that, you know, the character lives by. What is this? And I, you know, was listening to Pandora one morning and the song from the police, Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light, that song. And I was like, oh my God, it's Roxanne. That's who this is. It's Roxanne. And I say, you know, Roxanne, I'm Roxanne, but other people are Roxanne. So I really wanted to write a book that I get to put everything horrible I've ever done. And you don't know what story's mine or made up. And you right. don't know the character. You know, there's tattoo girl, cool girl, superstar, suits, 
you know, glam girl, I change everybody's name so you can try to figure it out. But it just allowed me to put everything out there and do it in a way where it's very creative. It takes you on a journey. You know, it's entertaining, but it educates because when I first started in sex and love addiction, I would get, you know, the sex addict books, our book. Um, I actually did my step work through the AA big book, which is hilarious, but, um, yeah, it was so weird that I did it that way, but yeah. And I, they were so clinical and so academic and I'd be like, ugh, not, so I wanted to like create something that entertained, but also educates about the addiction and a beautiful moment happened just the other day. My mom called me and she read it. Because it goes back into childhood stuff and things that happen and a molestation that, you know, I blacked out for a really long time. So it really goes there. It goes really deep and, and some moments that I'm not proud of. And my mom called and she was crying and she said, for the first time in 11 years, I actually understand your addiction. Like it makes sense to me what your addiction is because it's such a gray disease and nobody talks about it. And it it affects so much of our society, you know, and she then said, and I've done some of the stuff you've done. And it was just like a healing moment that my mom finally saw me because a lot of, you know, being an addict is you weren't seen, you weren't heard, you weren't, you were abandoned, you, you weren't loved, your worthiness, all those tools that you get as a young child are not met. Plus you, like you said, the generations of addiction that runs in families. Like when I did my family tree, my great, great grandfather was an alcoholic, but then every generation, you know, they became workaholics, overeaters. It, it just transfers. So it was so nice to have her say that. And it's brought us so much closure and and closer. So I was, I was just going to ask that because I'm like, okay, when you, cause I had a similar conversation with my mom and, and when we record tomorrow, the, the story that I'm going to tell is, is there is something that happened with my mom that was about the same thing. And, and mm-hmm. how has it brought your relationship with her and with your husband and your son and, and your family unit, how has it helped to empower that relationship? I think there's something about stepping into your truth and your authenticity and saying, I've done these horrible things or these horrible things are done to me, but they don't define me anymore. And it doesn't, I might've been a bad person, but I I might've done some bad things, but I'm not a bad person. And I think for my mom and I, it just really allowed her to see me as a person instead of her daughter and right. also see that no, even though things have happened that she did in the past, it is my responsibility to stop carrying around that baggage. And right. I also think becoming a mother, I could understand how difficult the job is, especially when you have no tools. I have 11 years of sobriety. You have 30 years of sobriety it's hard being in a relationship, not getting triggered, having, you know, a kid that triggers you also. So really helped us look at each other as human beings that were flawed. Like we do the best we can, but that, that my mom cannot give me my self-worth. My husband cannot give me my self-worth. My son can't give me my self-worth because they're all human and they're flawed and they are not my God or me. I have to fill myself. It is my responsibility as adult. And I have a chapter in the book that's adult up. Like 
you've got to like step in and let go of your shit. Because that's what I was doing. I was a a carrier of baggage from my past, a carrier of resentments. On my fourth step, I had 176 people on my fourth step. It took me two and a half years to do. Damn. And and for those that don't know, your fourth step searching moral inventory of all the people that you have wronged and all of the, the, the skeletons come out of the closet at that point in time. Yep. And so all your character defects love to flare. Comes show right on out. You're just like, <laughs> Oh yeah. It's, it's, I, I love what you said about that. You just, you just have to own your shit. And I think one of the most important things is looking at your parents and looking at the people in your life that raise you or had part of your journey in your life and understanding at their core, they're just a fucking human being that has emotions, that has fears that, and And they didn't get the tools from their parents. No generations after us didn't believe in mental health, didn't believe in therapy. I mean, just the other, not the other day, like a year ago, I said, mom, why don't you go to therapy? And she looked at me like, like I was insane. And she said, I'm too old to get help. This is the way I am. Oh my God, that's my mother. She (laughs) told me the other day, she's like, honey, I, I understand, but that's just the way I am. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, because I've done the work, I know yeah. differently. You can change at any point in time. Yeah. But it's really just, and then when they're like that, it's just really holding space for them and saying, you know what? Okay. You're 80 years old and you choose not to change. I'm going to love you in spite of yourself because of who you are, because everything that, and the one thing she always asked me was, Julie, if you could go back and change anything in your life, would you? And I told her, no. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything. The beatings, the rapes, the, the all the shit that I went through in my life, I wouldn't change it because the woman who I'm sitting with now and I look in the mirror, I fucking love her. Right. And I wouldn't have gotten to here if I hadn't gone through all that stuff. So do you feel the same way? Would you go back and change anything if you could? Oh gosh, no, I wouldn't. I I have no shame or stigma about the things that have happened to me because like you said, now I can look in the mirror and I love myself for exactly who I am just as this moment. And I am so grateful for my darkest yes. days. And yes. I try to tell that to people, especially going through withdrawal and in my program, it's tough. It's brutal because it's, you know, when we take away the alcohol, the drugs, the eating, the shopping, the gambling, whatever your ism is, the core belief is the fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy, fear of not being loved, fear of worthiness. And those are the ones that we don't develop as kids. So, you know, they say A is the last house on the block. They like to say slaw is like the shack in the back. No one wants to go to because- We have people, I sponsor people that have 35 years in AA that are a lot older than me. And they're like, I did not want to come to this room. So it's dealing with those core issues that we do not look at. And if I didn't allow myself to have a nine months of withdrawal, crying every day, crying for the little girl that I just tortured, tortured other people, tortured myself, did all these horrible things, you know? raped other people of their energy. That's what I like to call it. When you walk around like a toddler in the world going, fill me, give me, give yeah. you know, give me my worth. It's exhausting. So I'm so grateful. And anybody going through withdrawal out there is you will one day look back and say, that is the best thing I've ever done for myself. And doing this work, 
no one can take it away from us. Like that's the thing. People can take away our career. They can take away our partner. They can take away our children. They can take away our money. They can take away our clothes, whatever cars, name it. They cannot take away the work I have done on my soul. That's mine. And that to me, I'm like getting chills and I'm about to cry, but is like, worth everything. Like I would, wouldn't give that up for an Oscar for a million dollars for, you know, the perfect partner, nothing, nothing nothing can, can give me that self-love more than that darkest days that I decided to crawl out of the ashes and like go through the pain, walk through the fire, let my shit burn, get out of my attic self, get to the real me, all that work. No one can take it away. And that, that's, that is like incredible. And so on that note, yes. I'm ask you the last question. Okay. <laughs> if you knowing someone and, and I never tell anybody what the, the question is going to be mm-hmm. knowing what you went through mm-hmm. and the people that are listening right now, if you could tell someone who's sitting here going, holy shit, kind of that moment that you had when all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit. That's me. Yeah. What would you say to the person who is absolutely livingly terrified to number one, admit it. And number two, how do they start this journey? What, what can, what can you do? What can you tell them? Well, if you're resonating with anything, just know that this is my story. Everybody has a different story. This is such a great disease. You could be a cheater. You could be a porn addict. You could be a masturbation addict. You could go back to that unavailable person. You're trying to get love you over and over again, getting back into bad relationships over and over, exhausting yourself on social media, flirting, intriguing, all that stuff. And then on the other side, being a so sexual anorexic where you just shut that part off of your body and cannot connect, you know, your heart and your sexuality. So it's such a gray area. And so what I say, first of all, be gentle with yourself. Everything you've done up until this point is a survival tactic in your life, but there gets to be a point where you cannot do it anymore. And that's when the pain starts and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Oh, so what? Yeah, it does. It does. It's a progressive, you know, it's a chemical disease with drugs and alcohol, but it's a progressive brain disease and it gets worse and worse over the years. And our, it's our mind, our mind cannot decipher fantasy and reality and our thoughts get us tripped up. And then society on top of it tells us what our lives should look like or how we should behave. And it's just like, it's exhausting. So be gentle with yourself. You're not always going to feel this way. Feelings are meant to be felt. And as addicts, I just want to feel euphoria 24 seven, but that's not reality. No. So if you're in pain, what I used to do and what really helped me was I would imagine myself, my therapist helped me think, and I talk about this in the book. So you have to imagine that inside you're full of shit, like shit, <laughs> like, and that you have to dig through the, the, the shit all your emotions, all the things you're suppressing, all the trauma, all that stuff to get to your gold. So it allowed me every time I was crying, every time I was depressed, not wanting to get out of bed, not be myself. I didn't try to commit suicide, but there was days where I was like, I just don't want to be on this planet anymore. Like if I just drive my car into the wall, 
Like I'm in so much pain and I can't get out of it. You have to allow yourself to be in the pain. You have to, you have to dig through the shit to get to your gold. And that means every time you cry, think to yourself, oh, this is good. This is coming out of my body, that these tears were stuck in my body. And the yeah. second thing I want to say is tell one person there's something about, and that's why I did secret life podcast. Something about just saying it to one person. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm in a lot of pain. I need help. Something about voicing that really helps you break open and take the steps. And then the last thing, if anything resonated with you, please, please go online, fill out those 40 self-diagnosed questionnaires. If you get more than five yeses, they say, maybe you have this problem. And it, that program might not be right for you, but therapy really helped me. I did eight years of intense therapy, other small groups. There is a way out of our pain, but you have to walk through it. You can't keep covering up with substance, with a relationship, with clothes, with food. You, you, you're going to keep driving yourself crazy. You cannot get out of it. So that would be my advice if I was going to give advice. <laughs> I love it. So um, I am so excited and so grateful to have had this time with you. I, it was so funny because when I started this, I was like, oh, I'm, I was like, am I nervous? No, I'm not nervous. I'm actually really excited because to me, it was like our secrets are what hurt us. And one Kill us. When, when we bring them out and when we talk about them and we acknowledge and, and your story, and, and I say this on my Facebook lives all the time, your story will save somebody's life. That's and you the whole never, point. ever know whose life it's going to be. And so I am just so absolutely honored and grateful that you spent this time with me. Mm. I um, just, if y'all are, want to make sure, first of all, go out and get her book. It's hysterically entertaining and it is a game you're like oh well I wonder who that is and why you're that and by the way I just want to let you know that Lucifer is like one of my favorite shows in the whole entire world oh my world. god I love Detective Dancer she was so much fun playing she was like oh my five god. characters in one I'm like oh my god that is like one of he's just adorable and I'm like can, can I have a Lucifer to go please yeah thank you. <laughs> he's so sweet um, he's like the nicest guy so just he's so just you know. adorable mm-hmm. thank you Brian. thank you for taking the time to do this I appreciate you I honor you and I am so proud of the journey that you decided to take because you are going to save so many lives and you are going to empower so many people and I am just eternally grateful for you oh thank you that means a lot because you know like you said it's about being of service it's not about me it's not about you if we help one person not be in the pain and struggle then we've done our job so thank you for letting me come on and share my journey you are so welcome and everybody that's listening run out get her book right now go to amazon do whatever it is (laughs) go to your bookstore i think they still have bookstores but go to Amazon, get the book, do whatever it is you need to get the book. Thank you again, Brianne. It is Thank Wednesday. You. So you know what that means. Y'all get a slide on into the weekend and I will see you next week. 
Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.